Let's lift our hands, open our hearts. Father, we bless you. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We thank you for your leadership, your guidance. We thank you for the light of life that you bring to us. We thank you for illumination of truth. I ask you to anoint me this morning with your light and your life and your power. Give my word strength and power and whatever I say that is of you and is truth and empowering. Let it last forever in our lives and whatever areas, Lord, I stumble. I pray that that would just be forgotten and dissolve away in Jesus' name. If you can agree with that this morning, just say amen. amen. We're going to talk about Elijah as a type of the higher self, um, but we're not going to look <clears throat> at a specific passage about Elijah. I want to go to the book of Ephesians and look at this. Now, if you take what I have been teaching the last several months from Melchizedek all the way through to the series we're doing on Elijah, and you go back and read the book of Ephesians, it should make a lot of sense to you now, and you should be able to read through the book of Ephesians and say, oh, that's what we've been learning in church. <laughs> so we're going to start in Ephesians this morning, chapter 2. My, one, my life passages, you've heard me talk about this a lot if you've been around here for years. Um, and actually, before we do that, <laughs> before we do that, let's go to John's Gospel, another one we've looked at a lot, but... Let's just do this this way. Let's go to John's Gospel. John chapter 1, you should know it by heart by now if you've been around here. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And He was in the beginning with God, and here's the key. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot comprehend it. So John begins his Christology, his understanding of who Christ is, as saying that He is the Logos, or He is the Word. But here's what he says, that Christ is the ground of all being. Everything that sprang into being came out of Him, and without Him nothing was made that has been made. So everything finds found its existence and finds its existence in Christ. Then He goes on and says, The Word became flesh and dwelt, right? We beheld His glory. Got it? Alright. So with that in mind, now let's look at Ephesians. Because John's idea of who Christ is is much more expansive than Jesus of Nazareth. Okay. (laughs) Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And you, everybody say me. (laughs) Now notice the tense here. It's past tense. And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we were once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as others. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, watch this past tense, made us alive together with... Christ. Uh, I lost my place. What verse? Thank you. And raised and raised us up together, 
past tense, and made us sit together, past tense, in heavenly places in Christ. So resurrection is something that's happened to you. It's already happened to you. And being in heaven is not something that happens according to Paul when you die. Being in heaven, according to this passage right here, is something that happens to you right now. Now, here's the other thing about Ephesians chapter 2. If you put it in its context, you have to go back to Ephesians chapter 1. And in Ephesians chapter 1, he begins by saying, I'm praying for you that the, that God will give you the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of revelation in the knowledge of Him. Everybody say in the knowledge of Him. Right? That the eyes of your understanding or the eyes of your heart or the eyes of your mind would be enlightened that you would know the riches of it, or the hope of His calling, the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of His power that's at work in us that believe. So Paul is praying for you to get revelation and insight and understanding. He's praying for something to happen in your heart and something to happen inside of you. Not apart from you, not separate from you, and not other than you. He's praying that the light will come on. And then what he's praying is, is that you will see that you already have life, that you've already been raised up, that you've already been lifted up and seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's what you need to get the revelation of. That is the knowledge of Him. So Him includes you. Okay. Thank you. Now come with me to Ephesians chapter 3. Because he says again in verse 14, this whole thing of Ephesians is coming out of his prayer life. Because he says in verse 14, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. Let the language impact you there. The riches, the wealth of his glory, that he would grant to you to be strengthened with might, strengthened with might through his Spirit, in the inner man. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Watch this. That you being rooted and grounded in love. Get the picture. Rooted, grounded. Got it? Get the picture. The riches of His glory, might and power, strengthening you in your inner person, that you may be rooted and grounded in love. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you may be rooted and grounded in love, and that you would be able to comprehend. He's talking about something happening in your consciousness. With all the saints, what is the width and the length and the depth and the height, and to know consciousness, the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That's what he's praying. Now watch this. Now to Him, remember, Him includes you. According to the context of Ephesians. Now to Him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works outside of us. Is that what it says? (laughs) According to the power that comes down from heaven. According to the power that's working in Paul. 
According to the power that's working in the evangelist. No, to him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above and beyond all we can ask or think, according to the power that what? Works in us, that works inside of you. It's not other than you. It's not alien to you. It is a power that comes from inside of you. It is not a power that is apart from you. It is a power that is inherently in union with who you are. He says, now things in the external world can be ordered and changed. But before anything can change on the outside, there has to be a radical transformation of consciousness that takes place on the inside. You have to get the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that in your heart you begin to see that you have been raised with Christ, you have been seated with Christ in heavenly places in... Or what we've been calling the higher self. This is what Paul's saying. The beginning of it is that you get a revelation that you have a higher self that does not exist in the realm of time and space. That does not exist in the ages. Because he goes on and says that in the ages to come, he might reveal his glory in us in Christ Jesus. So there is a part of you that is hidden There is a part of you that is hidden. It's called the hidden man of the heart. Right? Okay, there's a lot of distractions this morning. So we're going to pray that all that stuff goes away. Because it's going all over the room. And you don't need to miss out on this. Is that alright? Let's pray again. Lord, thank you for helping us and helping me to stay focused. Lord, I just pray for the energy in this room to just settle and be calm and peaceful and focused in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, thanks. It's important for you to see this. There is a you that is hidden in heavenly places that Peter calls the hidden person of the heart, that Paul calls the inner person. It is a you that has been undiscovered or will be undiscovered without the supernatural aid of the spirit of wisdom and revelation to turn the light on for you. This you already has resurrection life, and this you exists in a, in a realm outside of time and space in Christ, who is the ground of all being, who is the ground, the logos out of which everything springs forth. So every, So there is a you that is patterned Inside that which patterns all things. Let's say it again. There is a you which is patterned inside the pattern of all things. All things were made through him and without him nothing was made that has been made. And you have a place seated right there. God rested from all creation, but creation wasn't finished. But here's the issue. God thought everything in Christ that would ever be. And when it said God rested in the original Hebrew, what it says is God rested from all the works that he gave to man to complete. So the idea in the Hebrew, when God brought the animals to Adam to see what he would call them, the idea is not... That he, and whatever he called them, that's what they were. In Hebrew thought, the name uh, gives something its nature. 
So when God's bringing the animals, he's not bringing a fully formed zebra and saying, Adam, what is that? And Adam says, oh, I think I'll call that a zebra. In the Hebrew, what he's doing is he's bringing something out of the realm of thought, presenting it to Adam, and Adam brings it into the realm of manifestation and brings it into full form. So everything exists in the Logos that will ever be. All the things that God has prepared for those who love Him exists in this realm of consciousness that we call the Logos, that we call the Christ. And you have a higher self who is seated and patterned in that place, connected to that place, and your and my job is to take what is yet to come and bring it into manifestation. But you cannot, that's, that's why he's saying, to him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above and beyond all we can ask or think according to the power that's at work in us, to him be glory in the church now and throughout all the generations. But until something radical happens on the inside, so here's what Paul's saying, and here's what I want you to see, inside of you by the Spirit are the resources, all the resources of heaven, all the strength and might and power of God uh, is to be uh, energetically received in your inner person so that your personality becomes stabilized or rooted and grounded in love. But you cannot become rooted and grounded in love and stabilized in love until what we're calling your lower self, which is the you that exists right here, becomes connected and in harmony with that higher self, with that hidden person, not something other than you. See, here's the problem with Christianity in the West and the problem that we're really having in modern evangelical Christianity. Since the time of the Nicene Creed in about 320-something A.D., the focus for Christianity has been on the historical Jesus and a historical event. The way we read the Bible is based on a literal interpretation, which means it follows our rational thinking, and we read it historically, which means it's locked into time and space. Now here's our problem. We think salvation lies outside of us. Based on our belief in a historical event that the Bible itself says only 500, about 512 people saw. You want to believe the Bible? You want to take a literal translation, uh, literal interpretation of it? Okay. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says this, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, <laughs> right? And Christ was raised from the dead according to the scriptures. And he appeared to Cephas or Peter. He appeared to the twelve and he appeared to some 500 witnesses before he went into heaven. So watch this. So what we are told to believe is that God saves humanity based on their faith in a story that they cannot verify because they did not see it for themselves. That only 500 people were the eyewitnesses of and has been told to us down through the ages. So your whole eternal salvation is based on an event that is locked in history that happened to a person who lived 2,000 years ago, the death and resurrection of Christ, a historical event completely other than you, completely outside of you, and if you believe it, then God will save you. 
But you can't verify it for yourself. We say that God was revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is not walking around today. You can't look at Jesus and see God because ultimately you can't look at Jesus. So how can your soul be saved by believing a historical fact? How can your soul be saved by a message and a gospel that leaves your soul untouched or uninvolved? Or the only involvement that you have is, I'm going to choose to believe this historical fact. Let me ask you a question, Christian. Why do you believe that Jesus was raised from the dead? Because the Bible says so. Because we have... Written down eyewitness accounts. The only problem is, is scholars, even conservative scholars today, agree that those are not eyewitness documents. Uh-oh. All right, let me ask you another question. Uh, why am I going here? Let me ask you another question, Christian. Why do you believe 500 people you never met saw Jesus raised from the dead But you don't believe that Joseph Smith had an encounter with an angel or that Muhammad had an encounter with the angel Gabriel. Well, I mean, really, ask yourself that question. How do you say, well, we know this book's true and these eyewitnesses are true, but this over here, this is totally bogus. How do you really know that? You weren't there. You're taking somebody else's word for it. Oh, but the Holy Spirit testified. You know what Joseph Smith told people? Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism, you know what he told people? He said, when you hear the truth that I'm teaching, a fire will burn within your belly and the Holy Spirit will testify that what I am saying is true. And there are Mormons all around the world that will testify to the fire burning in their belly when they heard the Mormon message. Oh, we don't like to talk like this in church, do we? (laughs) But see, the only reason your faith hinges on a historical event is because, frankly, we don't let ourselves really read the Bible. And we don't really understand what God was doing. And we don't really know who God is. And we don't really know who we are. Because we have everything locked into time and space. And God transcends time and space. So an event, a historical event, locked in time and space, totally outside of you, somehow saves your soul if you come to believe it. When Paul says, throughout the book of Ephesians, resurrection is not a historical event. Nowhere in here is he praying that you get the the revelation of events that you can't verify. Nowhere in here is he talking about a Christ that is alien to you, or other than you, or something that you can't experience. Nowhere in here does he point to anything outside of you. In fact, he's doing the exact opposite. He's belaboring the point that the Christian message, the true Christianity, the true Christian message is something that you experience by the Spirit of God on the inside in your inner person. 
that the resurrection is not so much, he's not praying you get a revelation of the resurrection that happened in Jesus. He's praying that you get a revelation of the resurrection that happens in you. He's not praying so much that you get a revelation of the exaltation of the Jesus of Nazareth as much as you get a revelation of the exaltation of your own inner being and your own higher self. That, that, that you not so much realize the Christ that was in the person of Jesus of Nazareth, but that you realize the Christ that is in you, that Paul said that is the mystery that I proclaim, that, that, that Christ in you is the hope of glory. Now you all are looking at me like I'm a heretic. Come with me a few pages over to Colossians. You know, it's hard to go against all this tradition. But think about it. We are damning people to hell because they won't believe a historical event that they can't verify for themselves based on our testimony, which is based on the testimony of whoever somebody heard 500 people saw. Instead of giving people something they can really sink their teeth into, instead of giving people something that really delivers the goods on the inside, instead of giving people something that they can know and experience for themselves, we stay stuck in history books. Yeah. Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. He's not talking about the afflictions of Jesus. Because Christ is the word, the ground of being out of which all things come. And you're, you have a higher self that's patterned in the pattern. For the sake of his body, which is the church, of which I became a minister, watch this, according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me to fulfill the word of God. Everybody say the word of God. What is the word of God? When Paul says the word of God, what is the word of God? Don't tell me it's the Bible because it hadn't been written yet. He tells us actually. The mystery, verse 26, the mystery, watch, this is what he's preaching and proclaiming. This is the word of God. The mystery, which has been hidden from ages and generations, but has been revealed to his saints. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now look at this next statement. Him we preach. Him we preach. Who Him? Christ in you. If it's not Christ in you, it is not the Word of God. It's right there. Now here's the really messy part of this for us. So this is a mystery that was hidden for ages and generations, but is now being revealed. Paul's living in the same generation as Jesus. You cannot hide something that has no existence.
So if Christ somehow, Jesus somehow, causes you through His incarnation, through His death, through His resurrection, if He establishes something, if He brings something into existence by what He does, then Paul can't say that. Paul didn't say Christ came into you. This is the mystery that happened when you prayed to receive Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Something was established in the incarnation. Something was established in the crucifixion. Something was established in the resurrection that didn't exist before. Paul says, all I'm doing to fulfill the word of God is preach something that has always been there, but people didn't know about it. Okay, let's just go back and read it again. So you don't, I mean, I'm not making this up. Verse 24. I now, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the affliction of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. What is the word of God? The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations. So if the word of God is Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection, we have a real problem. This is from the book. Y'all are looking at me like I'm crazy. I'm just reading you the scriptures. Oh, why am I doing this? The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of the mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, and him we preach. Paul says, I'm preaching about you and what's been inside of you all the time, but you didn't know. And what Jesus did was he fully embodied the mystery of Christ in you. And because he fully embodied the mystery of Christ in you, then death could not kill him. The grave could not hold him. Hell could not take him. He was raised from the dead because of the reality of the resurrection and the life power and everything was so in him and fully radiant that he showed you who you are, Adam, made in the image of God. That's why the man said... You've you got to understand that Jesus repeatedly, over and over again, did not point to himself or an event outside of him as being salvific. When Jesus talks about his death, he never, ever says. All he says, if you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, if you read the Gospels, if you read John, Jesus says, I'm about to go into Jerusalem and I will be rejected by the Pharisees, by the chief priests, and I will be crucified, but on the third day I will raise from the dead. And never does he attach any meaning to it of anything. He just says, this is what's going to happen. 
And he never wants attention drawn to himself. Somebody comes to him and says, good teacher. What does he say? Oh, yes. What does he say? He says, there is none good but God. They came and took him and tried to make him king. And what did he do? He went and hid out. The disciples came and said, why do you reveal yourself to us but not to the masses? Everything we're trying to do today in Christianity, Jesus denied in his life. Yes, but the kingdom was established when Jesus died on the cross and defeated the powers of darkness. Really? Come with me to Luke 17. This is going to make some of my friends' minds tilt. I can hear them now. I can hear the conversations now. Luke 17, verse 20. Now, when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, watch this, the kingdom does not come with observation. And I taught for years, decades, that the kingdom would come to your life based on faith in the resurrection of Jesus, meaning based on the observation of the eyewitnesses who saw him after he was raised from the dead. And the whole time, denying what the man himself said. The kingdom does not come with observation, nor will they say, see here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is inside you. He didn't bring the kingdom, he pointed to the kingdom. He didn't establish the kingdom, he manifested the kingdom. I'm just reading the book. Because see, here's the thing. As long as you have these alien, these events that are alien to you and this God that is alien to you, you can't manifest anything. So the gospel is not about getting you to believe a historical event that you cannot experience or verify. It is about the power of the Spirit to awaken inside you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you can realize the resurrection event is not something that happens outside of you. It's something that happens inside of you in Christ. It is the power to transform your consciousness so that you will know the love of God which passes knowledge, so that you'll experience for yourself the love of God, so that you can receive an impartation of strength and might inside of you that's so powerful that your personality becomes grounded and rooted and stabilized and established in the love of God so that you can know for and experience for yourself the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge so that you are not praying to a God outside yourself begging and pleading and binding devils that don't even exist and breaking strongholds that are totally impervious to your words but so that you might be filled with all the fullness of God, so that He will be able to do exceedingly and abundantly above and beyond all that you ask or think according to the power that works inside of you. 
I don't talk about my experiences a lot because I just don't want to. Because people talk about their experiences and then they elevate you to places you shouldn't even be elevated. But I went through a season in my life a few years ago, just, just to give you a little bit, and then we'll, we'll close up. We'll tie this back in with Elijah. I was going through an incredible time, everything I always wanted in, in, in the things of God. I was, now this will upset people, they'll think I just was following deluding spirits, whatever, I don't care. I'm reading to you from the book. But I was having encounters with angels, Jesus ascending every single day. And Jesus would teach me things. And I would see things from the scriptures and I'd say, oh, nobody's ever taught this before. And by the time the day was over, I would have three or four confirming voices constantly looking outside myself. And this was every single day. I thought, man, this is what life is supposed to be in the kingdom. Miracles, signs and wonders, answers to prayer, prophecies that were coming to pass, words of knowledge flowing freely, you name it. I mean, this is it, man. I've arrived in charismatic Christianity. And then one night, walking closer with the Lord than I ever had, then one night, I'm in this dream, and I'm kind of in this half-in, half-out state. Those of you that have experienced these kinds of things, you know what I'm talking about. And I'm walking with Jesus down a mountain, and we're walking down, as we're going down the mountain, we're descending down what I recognize as the timeline, the flow of history, from beginning on and i'm struggling with it in my mind like how does this work like the past has already happened the present is what we have the future is yet to come how can we walk down the time sure up the timeline you can show me the things that are in the mind of god how do we go back in time and i'm walking with the lord and i'm struggling with this and the lord says this to me he says until you can let go of your concepts of time and space, you will never experience the power of an age to come. And I wrestled with it in my mind, and I woke up from the experience, and Jesus left me. Here's what I mean. I could get up every morning, go into prayer, and I would have an encounter with the Lord. I would see Him, I would hear Him, He would teach me, I could bring my hurts to him. All this stuff. Get up the next day. Get up that day. Nothing. Get up the next day. Nothing. Oh, you were just making up those visions in your head. Well, then why couldn't I make them up? Week goes by. Month goes by. Five months go by. Same thing. Lord, where are you? In that same time, something began to happen where I began to discover a deep, interior, intuitive, abiding connection with the ground of being and the sense of divine presence. And here, and it finally dawned on me what Jesus was doing. Same thing when the disciples, listen to me. Listen to me. In some respects, 
Mary represents the church. Not Mary, the mother of Jesus, Mary Magdalene. All this Da Vinci Code crap about Jesus and Mary being married and having children is taking a spiritual metaphor and trying to literalize it and lock it into history. Mary represents that which, <laughs> that which is redeemed and joined to Christ as his bride. She represents the church. And she goes to the tomb and she sees a gardener in the garden. Who was the original gardener? All things have now been restored. I'm not saying the crucifixion of Jesus didn't have any power. I'm not saying the resurrection didn't have any power. And I'm not saying that I don't believe in it. But what does Mary do when she recognizes who Jesus is? Why do you look for the living among the dead? And then she grabs onto him. And what does he tell her? Don't. Our translations say don't touch me, but can I put it this way? Don't hold me. Don't lock me in. For I have not yet ascended above time and space. But tell the disciples that I am ascending to my Father and to their Father. To my God and their God. Now you got two disciples walking on the road to Emmaus and they're talking about all the things that transpired in Jerusalem. What could this possibly mean? What could the death and the resurrection of Christ and all of this mean? And a stranger comes along. It says Jesus appeared to them in a form that they did not recognize and he began to walk alongside them but their eyes were restrained from seeing who he was and he begins to, what, my friends, what are you talking about? What do you mean, what are you talking about? Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem that does not know what has gone on? And they told him all the things concerning the person of Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus opens up to them the scriptures. And here's what they said. Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked? And then he breaks bread with them and their eyes are opened and they know that it's Jesus. And what happens? He vanishes from their sight. Why? Because the whole idea is not to hold on to the historical person or the historical event. See, Mary represents the church trying to hold on to the physical Jesus who's been raised from the dead. And Jesus is speaking to His bride and saying, don't hold on to me because when I ascend, you're going to ascend. When I go to my God, you're going to go to your God. He disappears from the disciples who are trying to make sense of what the death and resurrection means. He disappears from them because here's the thing. He doesn't want you to lock Him into time and space. And can I tell you, even when you have a vision of Jesus, it's Jesus over the, it's Jesus other than you. It's Jesus separate from you. Even in your mind, spatially, it's you hear him there. Or 
Oh, we're going to ascend into heaven. That's spatial. That's time. Everything we're doing is operating under the precepts and the paradigms of time and space. And what the gospel is designed to do is completely free you from those concepts of time and space so that you can step into an eternal moment. You can step into an eternal now. You can step into an eternal person. And you can manifest the life and the power of an age to come. Not with a God outside of you, but you, Christ in you, being filled with the fullness of God manifesting according to the power that works in you the things that are on the event horizon locked inside of the Logos and inside the mind of God hallelujah that actually is the word of God that actually is the gospel Christ in you him we preach So Elijah represents an aspect of Christ in you who represents your higher self. Can you hang on for about just ten more minutes? I'll show you. Are you sure? Look at look at me in Proverbs. If not, you're free to leave. (laughs) We we won't cast the devil out of you. I promise. Or make an example of you, or think somehow you're less spiritual. Proverbs 18. Ten. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. What the heck does this have to do with anything? The name of the Lord is a bad translation in English. It's actually in the Hebrew, it's the name Yahweh. Which consists of four Hebrew, it's the four, it's the tetragrammaton, it's the four letter name of God. It's so sacred, Jews can't pronounce it. It's four Hebrew letters. Yod, He, Vav, He. Everybody just say that with me. Yod, He, Vav, He. Now, why is this important? Because the name Elijah, remember, this is all pointing, according to Paul, this is all pointing to something that existed, but was hidden, and now is revealed to you. So the name Elijah is pointing to a reality inside of you. There are two primary Hebrew names used for God. Elohim. Everybody say with me. Elohim. And Yahweh. Alright. Eli is the part of God that is Elohim. Jah is Yah. The Yod and the He. So you have Eli, Yah. The two names that are used throughout the Old Testament Scripture personified in one person. It's the divine self. Eli, or El, means the Most High God. It means the God that's the highest. So there you have higher. But now Yah is really interesting because it's the Yod and the He. But if you understand that Jewish people have a tendency to see God as a verb more than a noun, or as a life process that is happening. Ooh, I just said a mouthful right there. That the name yod He vav He is a process. Now, in the Hebrew alphabet, you have masculine letters and you have feminine letters. Because they understand that there has to be a masculine principle and a feminine principle involved in order for there to be life. Yod is a masculine. 
Hey is a feminine. Vav is, guess what? Masculine. Hey is feminine. So in the name of God, you have father, mother, son, daughter. Or the family. Got it? Now we're being told here, the name of the Lord is a strong tower, which takes you up, right? Strength, might, be strengthened with all might in your inner man. So Elijah represents your higher self in Christ. Which means the name of God is involved. Yod represents a hand. That's the picture of it. Because all these letters are pictures. Yod is an open hand. An open hand, not a closed fist. Not a God who's ready to get you and beat you up because you messed up. A God who is will, with his open hand is willing to be generous and lend you. It's the generosity of God. It's the helping hand of God. It's when the Bible says the hand of the Lord was upon. You get it? It's the masculine principle. It's that which penetrates an environment in order to change it. And bring forth life. Anybody have a problem with that? That's the Yah. Or the, the Yod. Hey is a window. It's that which lets the light shine through it. It's also the feminine principle. It's that which takes what the masculine principle has released in order to penetrate an environment, in order to bring life, and it receives it and incubates it and provides the environment for it to come to pass. Are you breathing? A valve is a nail or a tent peg that you drive in the ground. It's better, it's a tent peg. A tent is where something dwells. So your higher self is the yod and the hay. Your physical self that you know as the, the physical me that I know as Aaron Tomlinson is meant to be the vav and the hay. And the two have to come together. And that creates the name of the Lord as a strong tower that the righteous run into and are safe. Which is why Jesus, it's why in His name, not with His name. If you ask anything in my name, not with my name. They went out in his name, driving out demons, not with his name. We do everything with his name. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Oh, brother, you didn't pray in the name of Jesus. You must not be a Christian. Your prayer bounced off the ceiling. It's describing the process of your natural carnal self coming into full alignment with the higher self. So here's the point. Everything God has for you, your higher self receives first. Receives the hand of God and becomes the window through which that light can shine down into your lower self. Which is your physical being or the tent peg. That then also has to take on the feminine receptivity in order to receive that which you are getting from your higher self in order to manifest it right now. And that is the name of the Lord that you run into. Because the word righteous means straight or aligned. 
The name of the Lord is a, and the word strong there means power and might, like what Paul's talking about. The name of the Lord is a place of might and power that can change everything. And those who align and are straight with their higher self run into it. And they are safe. I threw a lot out at you today. The word of God, the gospel is about Christ in you. You have to let something happen inside you. You have to start praying. Give me the spirit of wisdom and revelation that I can see the resurrection event that happened in me. Give me the spirit of wisdom and revelation so I can see that I'm seated in heavenly places. Not this lower me that gets all wrapped up in my stories and my drama and my trauma. Not that self. Something totally other than that self. Until you discover the stranger inside of you, you will never know the kingdom of God. Until you discover the stranger inside of you, you will never know the kingdom of God. Meditate on it. Let's stand up. Guys, I hope you can get excited about this because what I'm talking about is something not that you have to believe in, because somebody else I'm talking about something you can believe in because you discover it and know it for yourself because you've experienced it for yourself not something you believe in something you know and I'm talking about a manifestation of Christ that transcends the limitations of all that we can ask or think because it removes us from every concept that we have had of time and space. So that we can go into places in the realm of consciousness where we actually touch the ground of being or the logos inside of us through which everything springs forth and gives life. And from that place then, we can begin to shift reality and manifest a life and manifest things that are outside the realm of time and space. That means that your past is not controlling your present. And your future is open-ended. But ultimately, the forces that are working in you are more about your future than about your past. To him who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Heavenly Father, lift your hands. Heavenly Father, we praise you and we honor you. We acknowledge you as our God. We thank you for the reality of the Spirit of God that is working according to grace and might in the inner person of every person to give them an established, grounded self in love connected with the higher self, 
connected with the Logos, connected with the mind of God. Father, let this awakening take place inside our hearts and minds. And Father, I pray that it spread far from this place and it become a current and a movement and awakening and a revival that spreads throughout the land. Father, I thank you that you are we are living in a time that you are breaking down traditions and taking off religious lenses and opening up the reality of the divine spark and the divine seed and the divine self, the sons and daughters of God being manifested and revealed. We give you thanks and we give you praise for it. Lord, I thank you that there is a might and a power right now touching every person. I thank you that there is an ability to change the structures of our own reality and manifest a future that we desire. Father, move us into this place continually in Jesus' name. And we receive, we, we receive, we, we open up that, the hay, the feminine part of ourself to receive from our higher self, to receive from the Spirit of God, to receive the Spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, to receive strengthening with might and power in our inner man, that we might be rooted and grounded in love, that we might know and comprehend together with all the saints what is the height and the depth and the breadth and the width and the length, that we might know the love of God that is in Christ for us, that we might be filled with all the fullness of God, and that there might be glory in us in this generation, and we let it, we say, let it be, <laughs> let it be, let it be, let it be, let us run into that strong tower, in the name of Jesus Christ, amen, God bless you, have a great day, we're just going to pray over the elements, and you can come, they're on either side. Okay, Lord, we thank you for the broken body of Christ, that we become receptive of that. Even the, even the Catholic Church, man, they were trying to show you, like, with the communion, with the, with the Last Supper, that it's in you. That's why you eat the body and drink the blood. It's to connect with it on the inside. So let's do that this morning. Let it connect with who's in you. So, Lord, I thank you. In the night you were betrayed, you took the bread and you broke it. And you said, take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. That you took the cup said, this is the blood of the new covenant which was shed for the remission of sins. And Father, we pray that you will infuse both the bread and the cup with your divine healing presence and grace. That the energies of Christ would be contained in those elements and that as we partake, we would connect with the energies of Christ within our own being. Bless your people. In Jesus' name. We'll have prayer people up also. If you need healing in your body, there's a, there's a real presence here. I think we can see some healing and miracles this morning. If you need healing in your body, I'd invite you to connect with Christ in you as you connect with the elements and then let somebody agree with you in prayer and lay hands on you. And I really do believe we'll see some things manifesting in that regards this morning. So God bless you. If you're on our healing teams or been on our healing teams, if you wouldn't mind, um, maybe just stepping out and taking communion first. If you would just do that and then make yourselves available to pray for people, that would be awesome. And then the rest of you can come and receive the elements and if you want to receive prayer. God bless you.